Welcome to the Modern Insurgents Patreon-only podcast, Atlas Analysis. Here, we talk to our writers in an informal setting and explore some of the more niche and obscure groups from our very own database, which you can find at themoderninsurgent.org. Sit back and enjoy our more relaxed, casual conversations with our team. Welcome to another episode of Atlas Analysis. Today, we're joined by Jeff Hamrahan. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, so who are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about the East Turkestan Islamic Movement. And just that name alone can be a little contentious. There's a bunch of scholars who say that no such group called the East Turkestan Islamic Movement exists. And instead, that is just a Chinese Communist Party uh, catch-all term for just like any Uyghur who displays any sort of like militancy or even just dissatisf- dissatisfaction with the uh, Communist Party. So what kind of group would you call them? Are they an independence group? Like where, where would you place them? Yeah, so they are at once an uh, nationalist independence group. So they believe that there should be a Turkic homeland. Um, the more radical members actually believe that Turkic homeland should stretch from parts of Turkey all the way to Xinjiang. So basically like the entirety of Central Asia should be unified into one Turkic state. Um, and they are also a jihadist group uh, or an Islamist group, if you prefer. Um, so they definitely are very hardline uh, conservative Muslims. Um, and they definitely also blend that with their nationalist tendencies to kind of create a home for Muslim Turkic peoples in Central Asia. It's quite a eclectic blend of like ideologies behind it. I quite like it. Well, not <laughs> like it. <because> yeah. <laughs> um, I've looked into the whole uh, nation stretching from Turkey to the Xinjiang kind of area as well before and all the Turkic languages are the derivative of every other language in the world and they are some of my favorite conspiracies and theories out there it's yeah 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 very very interesting group very interesting just region of the world I think Central Asia is very underreported on in general um I, I think most people would be hard pressed to even like name even a handful of countries in Central Asia so yeah it certainly goes under the radar and there's yeah. a lot of especially like everything we look at in the world that we deem important authoritarianism democracy but like that idea it's peaked in central asia and not many people really know about it like the level of dictator you find in central asia is mind-blowing yes 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 for sure so let's kick into a brief history how, sure. how, did, they get, how did they get started all right so uh fair warning history is gonna probably be the lengthiest part might not be too brief but i i do think there's a lot that needs to be said especially in a region that doesn't get a lot of coverage uh to really unpack the group so the region that comprises modern xinjiang it's had ties to china for thousands of years and when i say ties i don't mean like it is like rightfully Chinese or anything like that. It's just, it's been on the border of Chinese empires. And so naturally people trade there. There's been like little military outposts going back to the Han period of just, you know, basically thinking of just like a fort being built out there to help protect trade and other stuff. 
Um, in the 18th century, it becomes a part of China. That's under the Qing dynasty. And, but before that, during the Ming dynasty, uh, there were periods of Muslim rule in what we would call Xinjiang today. Um, then later on, way after the fall, uh, after the fall of the Qing dynasty, we have the warlord era, era. So China splits into a bunch of different warring factions and uh, the two biggest factions people know about, you have the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek and then the communists under Mao Zedong. Um, the communists eventually win the civil war, bringing us to today. But also during that warlord era, you have uh, briefly two uh, Islamic republics that pop up in Xinjiang. They are able to, under the Islamic party of Turkestan, or in the native language, the Hezbul Islam li Turkestan, uh, that group is able to bring apart two very short-lived republics. Like we're talking like, like a couple months for one of them and then like a couple years for another. Um, but that definitely laid the roots of kind of a movement for an independent Islamic state comprised of Turkic people uh, on the Chinese border. So the communists win in 1950, uh, not in 1955, they win before that, but in 1955, the communists established the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, which uh, most Westerners just call it Xinjiang. Um, like Russia, China has a lot of autonomous regions today. So there's a lot of regions where on paper at least, and especially before the consolidation of like the police state under Xi Jinping, they, uh, these regions are supposed to have a lot more autonomous rule because, um, as we know, China is comprised of a ton of different ethnic minorities. And so the idea is that you give these ethnic minorities their own little place in China. They're still China. They're still ruled by the Chinese Communist Party, but they get a lot of leeway in what they can do. Um, for most of the Chinese Communist Party history, that autonomousness is pretty... Uh, you know, maybe in name only, especially under Mao and under like the Cultural Revolution and all of these periods of like real, like intense autocracy. But in the 80s, when the whole country is opening up under Deng Xiaoping, um, that's when you have uh, it kind of convert more to a market economy than a planned economy. Um, with the loosening, we have like an Islamic revival in Xinjiang. Um, a man named Abdul Hakim, he was one of the founders of that Islamic party of Turkestan that I was talking about how in the warlord era, that group helped two Islamic republics uh, start in the region. He's actually released from prison during this opening up time. He had been held prisoner for years and years. And when he's released, he starts setting up underground religious schools in the region. Um, so we have now the 80s opening up, there's a revival of Islamic culture, these underground schools are popping up. So you have a lot more, um, I like to say Turkic peoples, a lot of people say Uyghurs, but there's not just Uyghurs in Xinjiang. There's a lot of, there's Kazakhs, there's Uzbeks, there's just a lot of different Turkic people from the region. Um, yeah, so there's like this kind of revivalization of like Turkic culture. So all of that's going, fairly well. And then in 1990, something happens called the Barin Uprising. So this is basically in Barin Township, there is this huge protest. Uh, allegedly, there are forced abortions being carried out by the Chinese Communist Party in Xinjiang. 
Uh, this is a claim that continues to this day. There's, there's a lot of evidence, there's been a lot of research and reports that in the Xinjiang region, uh, Muslim women are being forced to have abortions to basically replace the population with a Han population in the region. Um, there's a lot of debate among modern scholars as to the extent of this. Um, some scholars are going to say that this is like this huge like ethnic cleansing campaign. Some scholars say that yes, forced abortions do happen, but they're unsure of the exact uh, extent. Honestly, I haven't found anything either way that really supports either extreme of the sides. I'm suspecting like most things, there's probably somewhere in the middle as to the extent of this uh, uh, project. Regardless, um, a couple hundred Uyghur men attempt to breach the gates of a local government office in this town, Byron. Um, and then 130 armed police arrive in the scene. Uh, a couple people are killed, wounded on each side. There's armed resistance. And the next day, the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese uh, ground forces, uh, show up. They have two failed attempts to negotiate with and a prisoner exchange. And then uh, as a bulk of like a PLA force arrives, the uprising ends. Uh, most militants surrender, some flee into the mountains. And all the escaped militants in the mountains, they're later captured the next couple of days. So this is considered to be like the watershed moment in Xinjiang's history, and that which causes the Chinese government to like really tighten its policies and lock down. So we have the area opens up in the 80s under Deng Xiaoping. Um, these schools start forming and, you know, a lot of just resentment about Chinese rule, a lot of people wondering like, well, we're all Turkic, we're Muslim, we're not like the rest of China, why should we be in China? Um, the Chinese Communist Party starts implementing a little bit more brutal practices, these forced abortions. Um, there's a lot of racism going on because there's this huge influx of Han Chinese that are moving to the area because the Chinese Communist Party is really trying to industrialize the area. They're trying to set up a lot of factories and they're trying to fill these factories with Han Chinese workers. Thanks for listening to this preview. If you want to listen to the full episode, along with many other exclusive ones, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash modern insurgent. You'll find the rest of our Atlas Analysis episodes on there exclusively. Thank you.